This week, we welcome Brendan McAreg, Senior Director of Product Marketing at Signal Sciences, to discuss how to develop an effective AppSec security program. In the Leadership and Communications section, the CIO role, from IT operator to business strategist, five questions with Cisco's CISO, Gartner's strategic tech trends for 2020, and more. Business Security Weekly starts now. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Week. You know what the biggest cyber risk is for your organization? It's the browser, and your users are in it all the time. Every time a link is clicked, untrusted web code enters your network and runs on your machine, exposing you to risk. What if users had full access to the web, but never touched web code? You'd have all the benefit of the web and none of the risk. That's why Authenticate built Silo. It's a browser built in the cloud that runs all web content in a remote, isolated browser that never touches your network or device. With a simple click, your organization is fully protected from all web exploits. Find out more at securityweekly.com forward slash authenticate. That's authentic number eight. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Let the team at Black Hills Information Security test your defenses. With over 10 years of experience in penetration testing, red teaming, and threat hunting, the testers at Black Hills will help you find the holes in your security before the bad guys do. The team at Black Hills cares about educating and sharing their knowledge by creating countless blogs, open source tools, and webcasts for you to learn more about the tradecraft of pen testing and red teaming. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS to join their mailing list and view the latest blogs and webcasts from Black Hills Information Security. Welcome to Business Security Weekly. This is episode number 151, recorded November 11th, 2019. It is Veterans Day, and so first, I'd like to thank all of our veterans for their service and dedication. I am your host, Matt Alderman, here in Colorado, and yes, it is snowing again. And since it's Veterans Day, that means Paul is home with the kids, Jason is officially on PTO, which means I get to welcome two new co-hosts to BSW. They happen to be my ASW co-hosts. Joining me remotely, Mr. Mike Shima. Mike, welcome. Oh, thank you, Matt. Let's talk about some business. This sounds fun. Yeah. And my other co-host from ASW, John Kinsella. Howdy. Just looking to try something a little different on for size, so I hopped over here. Yeah, we're going to have some fun because we're going to talk application security. So this is a great segment on the Business Security Weekly side because it has a crossover into application security. So this will be a good good, good uh, interview session. The new Security Weekly website is officially live. Visit securityweekly.com and check out all the new sorting and filtering functionality. Please let us know if you find any issues or have any feedback by sending an email to website at securityweekly.net. 
Also, we are currently running our annual listener feedback survey. Go to that brand new website, click the survey tab, and select 2019 listener survey to submit your responses. All right, let's get into the interview. Brendan Macarag leads product marketing for Signal Sciences, which protects the web presence of the world's leading brands. Prior to Signal Sciences, Brendan led product marketing for CrowdStrike Services, the Incident Response and Professional Services Division of CrowdStrike. Prior to CrowdStrike, Brendan spent several years at Semantic leading product marketing efforts for both the Norton consumer brand of information security products and Semantic's enterprise mobility and endpoint management solutions. And prior to Semantic, Brendan managed online product development across a a variety of verticals from event ticketing to travel and consumer-facing technology companies. Brendan, welcome to Business Security Weekly. Hey, Matt. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, we're going to talk application security. Um, Signal Sciences has been a great partner of ours over the years. Uh, We love the technology. You know, Paul's implemented it within our our application here at Security Weekly. Uh, So we have a a lot of history with Signal Sciences. But we're going to talk application security programs. And where I wanted to start is you have this very interesting endpoint history, having worked at Symantec and CrowdStrike. And in one of the premises that I've made for a few years is that security is shifting away from the endpoint towards the application. That tie between the application and the endpoint is not as strong as it used to be. And so I'm curious, kind of looking at it from an, uh, somebody who came out of the endpoint space, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the you know overlaps with endpoint that are happening at the application layer? So... Um, having been at CrowdStrike, you know, they do a fantastic job with their technology in terms of observing, you know, processes, in, you know, executing in memory and identifying and stopping those bad processes in memory. Um, I think what's interesting from a CISO or a C-level executive standpoint, you know, you tend to look at the, the attack surface um, and all the attack vectors that an attacker can use to breach your defenses. Uh, and, and many CISOs tend to have a, you know, a perimeter mindset. You know, they look at all these different attack vectors Obviously, the endpoint protection is one thing they need. Um, identity access management to uh, monitor and, and prevent unauthorized users from accessing network resources is another need. Um, data loss prevention, you know, backing up all critical data on a regular basis. Um, there's other uh, tools out there as well. Um, but you know, all of that combined is important. But as we've seen over the past five years, you know, if you look at the Verizon Data Breach Incident Response Report, they've proven out the past five years that the web app is the top, you know, one of the top uh, threat vectors in which attackers are going to go after, uh, you know, in fact, 40% of all data breaches are caused by web app attacks. And that's because the, the attackers know that endpoint security is in place. So they go from um, layer three and four at the network, uh, and then they go up to layer seven, where the application, you know, the presentation layer is, and they start instrumenting and seeing how they can abuse and get past the web app. Um, so some of that, you know, there's some overlap with some endpoint detection technologies that can, like CrowdStrike, that can, um, you know, monitor what's happening in memory. But uh, beyond that, um, you know, what a, a web application security product should do for you, especially if you're looking at a traditional legacy WAF, which are essentially a, based on old technology that's over a decade old, which is regex pattern matching. You know, they look at the web request coming in, and then they look at the context around that request, um, and then 
if it matches a, a rule that's been set up, they block the request. If, if it doesn't, then they let it through. Um, the problem with that, that legacy approach to the technology is that it's essentially a black box. Um, and that's where Signal Sciences really excels because we are not, we, we have customers actually tell us that they've ripped and replaced out a legacy WAF product because it's a black box. It may be easy to install, but it doesn't give them the context or the information to know what is the attacker doing to instrument my application? What are they doing to try to break through? Are they, um, you know, are they trying to do account takeovers? Are they doing SQL injection, et cetera? So getting back to your original question, Matt, I think um, it's important for, you know, security stakeholders in any organization to, yeah, take care of the basics, look at your entire threat landscape, but just know that the attackers also know that those pieces of your security tool set are in place and they're going to go try to get around them by going straight to the application. I, the analogy I kind of draw is back in the old days a little bit with um, the, the VPN and the endpoint, right? There was this little back and forth between allowing people in based on uh, what available? What was available on the host, right? Are you running, you know, host-based intrusion detection? Is your antivirus signatures up to date, et cetera? And that understanding the endpoint would then allow certain ways for uh, a remote user to come into the network. What you guys do at Signal Science is kind of it, it has a similar analogy, right? There, there are components running within the application or that understand aspects of the application so you have better visibility into the app. And then that's tied with your web app firewall that allows a, a set of rules to also be able to block certain activities because you have, it's not a black box, you have that kind of correlation between what the app is supposed to be doing and how are people trying to use it from the outside. Is, is that a, a fair uh, analogy? Yeah, absolutely. So we have customers who will do you know, proof of value, proof of concept, uh, projects with us, and they're really surprised by, you know, they, they get the agent and the module installed in their infrastructure, whatever that may be. And, and by the way, we are fully compatible across cloud, on-premise, uh, you know, containers, um, or hybrid of all those. And basically, they get us up and running, and then they see that, wow, we didn't realize that we had this much traffic that was malicious trying to do account takeovers. We just had a, a financial institution that told us this recently. Um, and they went because they, they get that visibility very quickly and we can show them what is happening uh, at, the, at the application, or whether they're trying to access a certain directory, if they're looking for backdoor files on the web server, uh, if, if, if the attacker is trying to do other you know, instrument or abuse the app in other ways, we show them that, that how it's happening and what the attacker is doing. And so they go into blocking uh, right away because we show them that um, compared to, you know, legacy WAF products, which, you know, Conventional wisdom in our organization says that 10 to 15% of those products are in blocking in production at any time. I mean, that's not going to, or they go into learning mode, and that's really not going to do you much good when you you know that there are attackers out there going after the web app. So, um, yeah, getting that, that visibility through our console, which is very visual, it's a UI that's really easy to use. We also have um, alerts that can tie into DevOps tools like Slack, Jira, PagerDuty, et cetera, that you know, however your dev team or your operations teams need to work and they want to get that information that's actionable right away, we can do that for them as well. Yeah. Now, I have two co-hosts here who have a lot of application security experience. They might have built some of these tools in the past. I, I want them to hop in here for a sec. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll jump in first. And um, I was curious, too, because I think one of the things that's also compelling about this uh, approach is that we've gone from just here is a WAF that says, here's some SQL injection, here's some cross-site scripting, into, as you were describing, account takeover. And that's a lot more compelling to understand and to identify because 
<clears throat> a lot of times just everybody running SQL map or everybody running whatever the latest Python you know, script of the day is to go to enumerate, you know, known CVEs. Sure, that's interesting, but that can be a lot of noise. Um, yeah. And hearing about account takeover starts to make it a lot more interesting to get that insight into how the application is being abused. And I'm also curious, um, you know, based on what I understand of your model, not only are you deploying sensors, but you're also able to aggregate all of these sensors. So you can also build a much larger view of malicious activity than perhaps one single organization could do. And then you right. can feed that back in and make more, you know, better decisions, right? Yeah, so Johnny, that, that last piece that you're talking about there, we call it network learning exchange. And what we mean there basically is if one of our customers sees an attack and we block it, and we basically will you know, uh, record that information, um, and turn it into actionable information. And we basically will distribute it across our network of customers. Um, and that's why we call it network learning exchange is that everyone benefits in our customer base. And, and the customers don't have to do anything. And that's the great thing about it. It just becomes additional context that our uh, cloud decision engine will then apply to as it, as it basically um, examines and inspects the web requests as they come in across all our customer, our customer base uh, against all their applications at layer seven. So. Yeah, that, that's kind of a, uh, the shared wisdom or the shared knowledge of the crowd, so to speak, that we apply that information, that contextual information across all our customers. So there's that. Um, and also going back to your first uh, portion of your statement there around you know, the, the scripts that get run that are automated, um, that are looking for the known CVEs and whatnot. And that's an interesting point because um, obviously not every published vulnerability is going to apply to everyone's application out there. And so again, one first point here is that the visibility is key because you can see what the attackers are going after and what they're trying to do. The second point is if you're using something like a DAST or SAS, you know, a code scanning vulnerability tool, um, which let's be realistic is, you know, a snapshot in time of what your code base looks like, you can still take our tool and complement that by then saying, okay, we've identified these vulnerabilities. Let's see what's actually happening with those out in production when we do, um, hopefully you've you know, your development team has addressed many of those. But with your next release to production, then you can then see, okay, how many of these CVs that this code scanning, you know, dynamic or you know, stacks code, code scanning tool has, has identified, how many of those are actually in production? And then we can address those and then thereby address high value security bugs that actually matter uh, in the code base. Um, so this, I think those are the two, you know, if I hope I answered your question there, but I think those are like the two pieces of criteria people should look at when they're evaluating a, a proactive web application security tool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like how you also phrases the, the cloud decision rather than um, going into any 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 overblown claims. Or some, not that this was in any case, but we've avoided the idea of ML or AI and really focused on what the benefit here, which is rather than trying to build up a team of experts that are analyzing logs on, you know, individually, here is a way of aggregating using um, a cloud decision engine, well, let's, let's just call it that, um, to improve that decision-making process based on all of this data coming in. And then, you know, as an app owner, I can just basically either see that my app is being well-protected or go in and, you know, rather than make, having to make a whole bunch of, uh, go through a bunch of checkboxes, say, oh, here's what something, here's something interesting that I want to tune a little bit better for my app and focus on. Yeah, and I'm going to, Put on my marketer's hat for a minute here because obviously I'm looking at a lot of our competitors and how they talk about their products and you and just across security in general you see you know AI ML applied in a lot of places to talk about products and what they do and 
you know, again, talking about our cloud engine, we are definitely taking advantage of compute power to empower our customers to see more and protect more, uh, protect, you know, have more effective protection. But the thing that people need to keep in mind when it comes to AI and ML is that, you know, tools are still tools and it's still um, a human at the end of the day who sometimes has to uh, make sense of it all and know what's actual and what's noise. Um, we, we take great pride here in signal sciences that we are reducing noise because when we tell you, alert you on something, it's because you set up, it's either a, a standard rule that we have set up or we have customers who set up advanced rules or use our templated rules basically to, to monitor on something that, that's really important to them because they know their business is better than we do. So for example, you know, obviously Cyber Monday is coming down the pike here and we've got customers that have e-commerce uh, storefronts and they obviously want to want to want to stop um, in malicious account takeover attempts. They want to stop other uh, malicious activity. You know, for example, SQL injection to try to take over a shopping cart to figure out what the the cart token unique ID identifier is, so they can then take over that cart session and have goods perhaps shipped somewhere else. Um, that's one one example. But basically, um, the point I'm trying to make here is that. You want to empower customers to reduce noise, but also automate a certain, the security so that's effective, but then also take it up another a notch because they want to uh, instrument and observe uh, and threshold on certain signals that are custom to them. Um, and so we give them all three of those layers, so to speak, that they can take advantage of to protect their layer seven assets. Yeah, and I think that really ties into the first tactic around building an effective AppSec security program, which is getting that visibility into attacks and having the right metrics, right? It, it's that setting up those default or advanced rules to really understand what's going on at the application layer, and then being able to notify people appropriately when that happens so you can start to gain that visibility into where are attacks coming from from your application. So very, very pointed uh, in, in your four tactics that you kind of outlined for, for the interview. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to touch on one of those, Matt. So, you know, leveraging infrastructure as code is pretty important. And I, from signal sciences point of view, you know, we, we take great pride in being able to embed and be compatible with a wide range of infrastructure as well as languages, uh, you know, different web server operation, operating systems, um, because we know that, you know, the, the homogenous environment is not the reality for most of our customers, if not all of them. It's it, it's heterogeneous. You know, you're after heterogeneous uh, mixture of different cloud on-premise, different languages, different operating systems, and we have to be there. And obviously, there's a lot of movement towards cloud-native technologies like Envoy and Istio um, that allow customers to scale up their applications very quickly and yet abstract away the networking aspect of their application so the app can focus on those functions that it needs to to scale up and serve massive numbers of customers. Um, so having said that, um, being able to uh, embed alongside an application in a container um, and being able to uh, you know, be a part of orchestration of deploying thousands of containers um, is really important to us because we know our, many of our customers are taking use of these new technologies. Um, and so wherever possible, from an AppSec standpoint, it's important to make your release cycle consistent uh, and repeatable. And also, you know, we have many customers that use automation tools like Ansible, Chef, HashiCorp tools. Um, and the reason why we want to be you know, compatible with these tools is because they are using them to deploy quickly at scale um, and also meet their customer demand. Uh, so what you want for your dev team to be able to do is Yes, embed us in that process, that deployment process, and have us there. Um, 
but also give your development teams a means to um, control and do things like spinning up EC2 compute instances, putting instances behind load balancers, if that's appropriate for you, um, generating those security groups and defining roles that need to be defined and do that all in a way that's predefined, uh, controllable, configurable, um, and uh, obviously civil sciences can be there to help be a part of that release process. Um, so that's something that's pretty important from a, an AppSec standpoint is basically making your infrastructure uh, configurable in a code-like manner. Um, it's, I'm ahead, not sorry. sure if you finished that thought there. I didn't want to interrupt you, Brandon. Um, yeah. So you know, we're talking a little bit about almost a DevOps model and sort of what that DevOps lifecycle um, looks like. And I was sort of thinking a little bit about you know, what you've been talking about the last five, 10 minutes um, you're really sort of bumping up against, and you know, you're you're talking with uh, a lot of the concepts in a, a SSDLC, a secure software development lifecycle. Yeah. Um, I think where I'm sort of curious about is, you know, it's I I don't want to derail the, the 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 DevOps talk there, and I think these two sort of come together. But also, how are you seeing your customers actually take that actionable information and feed that back into that SSDLC? Uh, life cycle are are the applications any stats around are the applications improving are people you know doing more than just putting the box there and saying okay we're secure now we can go back to writing bad code or are they do you see folks learning or improving or using different tool sets maybe as a result or um, um, so I I like to address that Johnny by just saying uh, we we do have customers that as I mentioned before they go into POC they be they go into blocking mode because they are surprised at all the things that they're seeing uh, you know ATO being an example or certain patterns of SQL injection happening. Um, so again, what we show within our uh, console is basically, are there certain directories that, are, that they're trying to access? Are they trying to discover backdoor files? Um, are they uh, trying to execute SQL injections because they're trying to figure out uh, what values are being uh, passed in a form that will then get hooked up to another query to the database? Um, things like that. And I think, from a, a security stakeholder standpoint, what's good about social sciences is that we can help them um, prioritize the high security value bugs in the in the in the code base. Um, and and basically, one of our customers, Remitly, Kevin Hannaford, uh, who's their head of information security, has a great uh, blog that he's written for us about how to report up actual security metrics to your board and and about your program. And one of the things that Kevin does is he actually has a KPI dashboard. Um, that will track, okay, for each iteration that we release, here are the security value bugs that we addressed in this release before it went mm -hmm. to production. Um, and so trying to, and we, we can help with that, like I said, basically in conjunction with like a code scanning tool that will identify CVEs that are known. Um, and then basically the team can then see in production, like, okay, these CVEs are the ones that attackers are trying to go after and exploit, we'll address those. And then you can make that a KPI for your board to look at or your management team to look at. So they'll work and say, yes, we are releasing more secure code every time that we go to production. Um, that's one way. The other things that you can do uh, in terms of what our tool make visual for you is, you know, um, are there malicious requests that are coming from certain geographies that we know we shouldn't, we don't do business with? Um, and they're coming in. We can, we can help our customers block those requests very easily um, based on geography. Um, there may be also other uh, sanctioned IP blocks from, from the State Department for whatever reason. Um, so we can basically help customers visualize and show their management teams, these are the things that we are doing to make our applications more secure in production. And those are just two examples. Um, there are other things that we can show in terms of 
okay, we are reducing, we've seen these types of attacks happening and now they're, we're seeing fewer of them because we are monitoring for thresholds that get triggered by these kinds of attacks. And every time that we uh, see a threshold met, we're blocking them. Um, so there are ways that we, there's a phrase that we, we like here at Signal Sciences, which is make security visible. And that's really what we do well here for our customers. And they really appreciate it because instead of being a black box that yes, we block the request, we tell you why and we show you what the attackers were doing and make the information really visible. So like, back, to, I guess then, back to, if I can expand upon that one then really quickly, sorry, it, it's because yeah. I want to make sure I and whoever else has a, you know, um, I don't want to um, put you into the wrong box. So you think more of that visualization and that uh, actionability from an operational point of view than you do from a um, really feedback loop on, on the application side. Is that accurate? Um, no, I mean, I, I think we do both. Um, okay. So from an operations side, we can help, you know, uh, as I mentioned before about the, the release to production and having a measurable and, and repeatable configurable release process, we can be a part of that. Um, but also once you have your application code in production, uh, being able to know that certain things are, uh, the attackers are trying to do certain things and instrument the app a certain way or a payment flow or a login flow or some other web application logic, or let's say you have an API that's in production and you expect um, a certain amount of traffic from your partners over X time frame, but you're seeing spikes or you're seeing values that are trying to be passed within the API that should not be passed. Um, mm -hmm. Those are real things that we can show uh, developers, okay, you're gonna have to take care of this because if this is something unexpected behavior or it's uh, meeting a threshold that you're not expecting, you need to look at it. Um, so that's a very real way that we help developers understand how their code is being instrumented and, and being used. Yeah, and I think tying some of those metrics back into the developers is key if we're going to get them to write better code at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think a goal from a security standpoint is you want, and also from a developer, you want to feel good that you're empowering your organization, not only meet business goals, but you know, you're know you emboldening or helping the security posture. And if I'm a developer, I'm going to feel good knowing that, okay, I was shown that this part of my application had a weakness in it, or there was something that was giving attackers an opportunity to try to break in, and I was able to do something at the code level uh, to address that. that. That's a great feeling as a developer. Likewise, an, as an operations person, if you want to be able to know that you're going to release repeatedly on time and iterate as the, the, the business demands, but at the same time, you're not leaving security behind and you're helping, uh, you're embedding security alongside the app, you can, we can help you do that. And obviously, from a security standpoint, you know, giving the metrics that are visible and, and measurable that you can up-level to your management team to show that, yes, we are releasing secure code. Uh, on a regular basis in the apps secure production. Um, I, I think we do a pretty good job of doing all those things for, for different stakeholders in the org. Yeah, and, and hopefully security becomes a business enabler instead of a business prohibitor. Yeah, you wanna be the department of yes, not the department of no, is a, is a, is a great phrase that I, one of our customers gave me because you know he told me that I don't want to be the guy going over to the developers and saying, you have to do this. You, you know, security is, okay, from, even from a regulatory standpoint or a compliance standpoint, here's why you have to do it. But let me show you the importance of how you can help uh, us meet that, that goal. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, it's something that we help our customers do is you, you want to be the department of yes, not the department of no. Mike, John, any additional questions for Brendan while we have him? Um. I guess from my point of view, it's it's one of the things which is really interesting to me, you touched upon briefly, is is around that um, KPIs, right? Um, I think you talked a little bit about 
you know, the being able to fix security effects in code. Any other sort of KPIs come to mind that you see um, are, are really making significant changes in organizations that, that use you guys? Um, oh, Not so, to put you on the spot, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, like I said, we've had customers who uh, they they weren't aware that certain things were happening in production, and they they stand up our agent module, and then they see, uh, you know, wow, we have we didn't realize we had this much traffic over X time frame, and it's it's originating from these IP blocks. Um, we weren't expecting that, or we weren't expecting to see the number of a high volume of credential stuffing going on over a certain amount of time um, that could lead to account takeover. Uh, we've had customers say that you know. Backdoor file. Actually, we're um, we've taken a hard look at some of our e-commerce customer telemetry, and uh, backdoor file is actually very very popular in terms of trying to find a file that's on the web server that can then lead to a, an even further you know security incident. Um, and customers weren't aware of that. So again, I think one of our clear differentiators and one in the value that we provide customers is based you know versus versus a legacy WAF vendor is that we're giving you that insight into how the attackers are trying to leverage your, your code base in production and for their own nefarious means. And uh, when customers see that, it's, it's really a, an eye-opener for them. Um, but again, it's, there's the aha moment, and then there's the moment where they realize, okay, we need to be doing this. Um, going back to my original point about you know, the threat landscape, all those things are important. But ultimately, if the attackers are going to go up to layer 7 and attack the web app, um, you know, you really, you have to do something that gives you the visibility into what they're doing. Yeah, I was curious too, because I was going to ask about metrics as well, but I'll, I'll slightly adjust my question into um, how the feedback, what the feedback loop looks like for the developers themselves. Because it sounds like, you know, none of what you've described so far sounds like a security team is actually deploying and operating um, you know, th this tool. It's actually, yeah. you mentioned, you know, hooking into Slack, hooking into Jira. I'm just kind of curious how you've seen developers take advantage of that feedback loop just to see logs or metrics coming back from, um, you know, these, the, these firewalling capabilities. Um, sure. So if, as far as the, the actionable visibility uh, that the integrations provide, um, uh, I can give you an example in terms of, again, so a lot of our signals are based on customer-defined thresholds, uh, and they're looking for traffic patterns that are not expected, um, or they're looking for um, you know, actions within the application that they maybe were, were not intended to be used, uh, but for whatever reason, the hackers are going after it. Um, so I'm going to give you an example from a customer called investing.com. They are like one of the top uh, financial news aggregators and websites, uh, and they have a mobile app as well. And they have a you know free advertising supported model, and then they have a subscription based model um, or service that you can get without the ads. And um, they discovered after standing us up uh, that they were getting between, gosh, I want to say I don't want to, thirty to forty thousand malicious bots trying to over X time frame trying to scrape the content that they were paying for. It's think of it in terms of um, uh, financial news content that they have to pay for, and they had. Uh, bots coming and taking that and scraping that information off their pages and then using it elsewhere for other whatever means that they wanted to use it for. But the fact is that investing.com has to pay for that information uh, so they can monetize their business based on their ads that they, they run against it. And so when they stood us up, um, they saw in production, they were getting alerted on um, automated bots coming in and taking the, you know, 
taking that content away over X time frame. So that's that's one example of um, you know Ashwin. I I, I want to say they were using uh, Jira. They set up some other uh, alert, but the fact is they were using one of our integrations to you know to get get that information um, and then take action on it. Uh, that's one example. Um, that's a cool example because I, I I like that idea because it's it again speaks into protecting the app from abuse and from um, you know logic-based attacks or kind of the business function of the app rather than just falling back on we're going to have some type of way to block cross-site scripting SQL injection or some other you know injection style of, of attacks so that, yeah. that that sounds a pretty cool scenario right there for me yeah appreciate it thanks John and for the yeah, it, as well it, yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, data is, is part of that app, right? I mean, you're serving up data, and if, if malicious actors are coming in and, and grabbing that data that you're trying to use to monetize, that is definitely a use case that you, you want to be aware of and how to protect that data, especially as we do more and more with these applications to expose additional types of data, which could include, you know, personal information and, and other aspects. Those are really interesting use cases yeah. beyond, Mike, like you said, SQL injection, cross-site scripting, CSRF, the things we know from an OWASP top 10. These are true business uh, issues for your application that have to be addressed because they have a monetary impact to you. Yeah, and then I think APIs overall is another very interesting area because obviously APIs are uh, kind of the, the the sinew or the muscle that connects one organization to another in terms of interchanging information, exchanging information between applications. And sometimes it's done for content reasons, sometimes it's done for transactional reasons. Um, but I think uh, one area that people need to be aware of is um, APIs can be abused, whether you even though you may think that your API is not publicly exposed, sometimes they are. And uh, we also help our customers monitor those to see like what kind of information does uh, someone try to pass to the, your API endpoint. Um, I, I won't say the organization because they're not a customer of ours, but I used to work at a place where they made information publicly available through an API. And they, there was a big debate always going on that should we shut this API down because we're all giving essentially inventory information out to the public that uh, is being published elsewhere. And for a while, that was part of their business model because they wanted their data to be published around on different sites. And um, it, it's, it's something that organizations need to be able to do, at least monitor your APIs and how your endpoints or API endpoints are being used. So if you do see something that's being passed to it unexpectedly, you can take action. You can monitor on it and take action. So that's something else that we enable our customers to do. Yeah, APIs are a big challenge. Uh, Brendan, uh, thank you for joining us on Business Security Weekly. It was a great discussion. Yeah, appreciate it, Matt. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can do another one of these for you guys sometime. Yeah, you're a great partner. So if anyone wants to learn more about Signal Sciences, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash Signal Sciences. And I'm sure we'll have uh, someone from Signal Sciences on one of the programs soon. All right. All right, with that, we'll take a quick break and then cover the leadership and communications articles for this week.